Okay, my name is Johan Norberg and today is April 5th of 2018 and I'm here with Larry. Larry Raciopo, or the old Italian way is Raciopo, yeah. but much too uh, hard for people from Brooklyn. <laughs> Takes too long. Yeah, and we're at the Brooklyn Public Library, Central Library, for the Art Streets Art Stories project. And um, what's your Brooklyn story? My Brooklyn story is I was born here just really a few blocks from the library at Methodist Hospital. I was born, or I was told, was the worst storm in the history of New York up until a few years ago. My father could not get to the hospital. It was a huge blizzard, actually. It just got passed a few years ago in terms of the total volume of snow. And my, I mean, other said you knew I was going to be trouble based on that. But actually, I was a very good kid. Very uh, Boy Scouty, goody two-shoes kind of kid. Oh, so I grew up in what is I call South Brooklyn, and now it's being called the South Slope. And my parents had an apartment on 6th Avenue, right between Prospect Avenue and 17th Street, and our building was torn down to build the expressway. And my father was a longshoreman, and he worked a lot in the Sunset Park docks, so we moved to Sunset Park. We moved to 40th Street, which was walking distance off from the place he worked. So I went to public school on 18th Street for kindergarten and first grade. And then over the course of the summer, we moved to Sunset Park. And I started second grade at St. Michael the Archangel School, which was another whole story in itself. <laughs> it's, it's hard to, uh, when I talk to my grandchildren, to tell them about what it was like to have a nun for teacher, how we had 50 kids in the class, and you could hear a pin drop. And if you ever did anything to cross the nun and complain, your parents always took the nun's side and um, you got hit again. <laughs> Physical punishment was not off the table at that time. Yeah. Not too brutal, but uh, people felt it was okay to, to, to physically motivate their kids, let's say. So what was the community like? Uh, when I grew up, when I think about it now, and I've been writing about the past a lot, and in my personal photography, I've been returning to kind of like my roots. I've been working a lot with the earliest work I did, looking at it again, thinking about how I was connected to my family and my neighborhood. And like a lot of photographers, I just started right near my house, photographing the block I lived on. One of my favorite photographers is a Southern photographer, Bernie Imes. And he has a book called Close to Home. And that's how I think about my early work. And my later work is just a continuation of it. But uh, in terms of my neighborhood, it was very working class and almost entirely Italian. And when I think about growing up, I think of it as a triple whammy or triple influence. You were born in Brooklyn, which marked you. You were Italian-American, which marked you. My parents were born here, my grandparents were born in little towns outside of Naples, and you were Catholic. And those three things together really formed your basic personality. You may rebel against it later, as I did, but it still became your core. I was surrounded by, by that. My grandparents, both my parents, my father's parents, and my mother's parents never learned how to speak English. So I never really spoke to them. And I think that was a tremendous loss. And my dad, who did very hard manual labor, when he wasn't working, wanted no part of anything 
like that. So unlike his father, he didn't make wine, he didn't keep grapes, he didn't have a garden. He, he saw that as old-fashioned. And according to him and to my mom, they were abused and made fun of as children of immigrants. And there was a certain tension, which now seems almost laughable, between the Irish-Americans who were here before the Italian-Americans. And there was like a pecking order and a ladder in terms of jobs and pay. And I worked for a while for the telephone company when I first, when I came, I, let me backtrack, I dropped out of college after three years, joined this fabulous government program called VISTA, Volunteers in Service to America, which is now the AmeriCorps. It was like a domestic Peace Corps. I didn't want to leave America. And I spent two years in California and came back. And I was deciding whether or not to go back to school. I took a job at a telephone company. And I thought it was pretty interesting, but I, I might have kept it, but there was a big strike and I, and I needed to make money. So I started driving a cab and I, ne I never went back. But one of my aunts said, what's the job like? How do you like it? I said, oh, it's not bad, but I don't like my foreman. And she immediately said, he's Irish, right? <laughs> so there was this tension, which now is all way water under the bridge. So I have a, a, a book of my photographs coming out in the fall called Brooklyn Before. And it's about South Brooklyn, which is uh, disputed now what that actually means. But to me, it's from historic Park Slope to Greenwood Cemetery. And that neighborhood was, was Italian, Irish, and then Puerto Rican. And after I moved, I live in Queens now, it became South American, Central American. But at the time, it was Irish, Italian, and Puerto Rican with some tension, but really not a lot. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't anything like tension you've seen a few years ago in terms of shootings or big gang fights. There was occasional scuffles. There was people aware of territory. But for the most part, and one of the things that I think united the people, they were all Catholic. So the church, as it became my parents' parish, St. John the Evangelist on 21st Street, between 5th and 6th, as the neighborhood became more Latino, the liturgy became more active. It became a little more visual, a little more emotional. So now if you go to these churches, you'll see um, statues or paintings of the Lady of Guadalupe, the Mexican city, which you would never have seen in the 70s and 80s. So it's a constant state of flux. The neighbors are changing. Uh, there are all these artists now moving into South Brooklyn, living below 3rd Avenue, because it'd be just people just trying to find an inexpensive place to live. When I, um, I came back from California, I stayed two years with my parents. I got my undergraduate degree, and then I got my own apartment on 15th Street between 6th and 7th, and I was paying $125 for a floor through apartment. It allowed me to become an artist, to let me photograph and to set up a small black and white dark room and to work. And I only needed to drive a cab a few days a week. Or then I worked as a waiter, a bartender. I did a lot, a lot of very odd jobs. My eye was always on making photographs. How did you get into the photographs? That's, that's a mystery. <laughs> I um, had never done any art. Catholic school, even high school, is notorious for no art. But you saw photographs that were around, they were in magazines, and I was in California, and my two friends were started taking pictures, and when I came back to New York, I, he let me borrow his camera, a very inexpensive 35 millimeter Petri rangefinder, 
And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed taking pictures. It made me feel a little more alert. And it was actually fun to do. And then I started learning more. And when I came back from California, I wanted to either be a filmmaker or a photographer. And I worked on a lot of independent films that never got anywhere. And we never had any money to finish anything. We had no money to pay people. So we we had these movies and like um, the actress would be there the first two weeks. We would shoot on the weekends, say in Coney Island. And the third week she wouldn't show up. We had to get somebody else. We had the same person, I mean the same part played by two different people. It was very avant-garde. We could never finish anything. And all the while I was taking still photographs, learning about light, thinking about art and realizing that's something I could do myself. Like whether it was good or bad or terrible or indifferent, from beginning to end, it was my responsibility. I didn't have to need, I didn't need anybody. I didn't need a crew. I had no equipment. I bought a camera in a hot shop, and, but I learned how to process the film accurately and I learned how to make prints. And in the 70s, I would, I took one course at the School of Visual Arts but found it kind of intimidating. I went at night and I just rented a storefront, and back when you could rent a storefront for $50 a month, and set up a black and white darkroom and basically taught myself. And uh, Museum of Modern Art back then, I would say this now, we're talking 70 to 77, had Thursdays free. So I would take the subway into Manhattan, look at the photography collection, walk around the museum and look at more photographs and say, my pictures don't look like this. I have to go home and work some more. And I would just keep practicing. And then going back to the museum, there were almost no, there was one photo gallery, Wiccan photo gallery on East 59th Street, or I'm sorry, East 60th Street in the 70s. There's nothing like today where there was, a, there was no market for art photography. And so you really had to go and look at the museums and then uh, buy photo books. And I started, I started buying books, looking at, looking at pictures, then I went to graduate school for television production, and I took some photography courses as electives. I made a few friends, and we've been in touch kind of ever since, doing basic uh, documentation of Brooklyn. So, uh, Brooklyn in the 70s. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a continuation of Brooklyn in the 60s. It was just that's where you lived. It's what you knew. Gentrification was starting to happen. We used to joke, there's no, no offense, the return of the Vikings, we started seeing tall blonde women in the neighborhood and we knew something was changing. And one of my best friends was um, Norwegian and Sunset Park had a big Norwegian population that moved out. There was still the Norwegian co-ops right off the park, but that, that culture was almost completely gone. You just don't see that anymore, but some of our neighbors were Norwegian. Um, and, and Brooklyn was, um, it was, see, again, it's hard to say because that's all I really knew. You know, I was comfortable in Brooklyn. You could always work. There was, um, you go down to the docks and do all these shape-up jobs. I used, to, I used to load trucks. You go there in the morning and they would, a guy would come out and say, you, 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 and you, okay, go here. And then they eventually say, okay, nothing today, come back tomorrow. And one day I was, I was there, I remember there were, myself and two other guys were standing around this big barrel of wood burning in there. It's like six o'clock in the morning in the winter. And this guy comes out and he says, I need two guys. And he points his finger like something in a movie. And he goes to the guy on my left. And the finger slowly goes past me. And he goes to the guy on my right. And he goes, sorry, kid. Nothing today. And I said, okay, I'm going to graduate school. <laughs> so you kind of like, I, I made a lot of my decisions 
for no real rational reason looking back on it. And none of my family had even gone to high school. They, uh, so that my dad went as far as the sixth grade. So that I had no example. No one was really telling me there's a reason. It was like, you know, go to school, get educated. They, they really fostered learning. They wanted us to read. My mom walked into the library in Sunset Park. But it, it, I never quite understood why. I mean, there were no examples around me. For example, we never had any books in the house. My mom, we got a TV guide, and someone tricked me into buying this gigantic, uh, glossy Bible. I think they paid on the installment plan. And other than that, 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 there was nothing, but they wanted me and my younger brother to read. And in fact, I donated my photography book collection to the Brooklyn Public Library, and they put up this delightful plaque in honor of my parents. It's dedicated to Carmela and Anthony Rassiopo, two non-readers who encouraged their sons to read. And that was a, a big gift they gave us. You've been working with the city's housing department? Yo, know, I had a funny experience. I'd done many, many odd jobs. And at one point, I started working with some artist carpenters. I met them through the Park Slope Food Co-op. And we were working on all these lofts. And I wanted to become a carpenter. And then I wound up having my own little contracting business because we had all master carpenters and no helpers. So you could only get so much per hour. At, and then you, if you wanted to make more money, you had to then take on the responsibility of running your own job and hiring people. So it was a funny bunch of people because we worked, I might work for three or four weeks as a boss and hire my friend Sean. And then next month, he might be the boss and hire me. But we had no written agreements, no contracts, no insurance. It was an amazing uh, cash on the ground for artists in New York. There's some very famous artists like Philip Glass was a plumber. People have done this. And I kind of stumbled into it. And it was nice because it was, it was fun to do. It was um, interesting work. The camaraderie was really good. I used to play rugby in college. I liked the physicality of doing the hard work. And we got paid cash. I mean, a lot, about a lot of it was very, very good. And at a certain point, I did a job for someone who worked for the city. And I told him I was actually a better photographer than a carpenter. Did they ever use any photographers? And after a while, she hired me to do something. And then a friend of hers was moving to another agency. The, the housing department is called Housing Preservation Development, HPD. And they needed a photographer in construction. So I took the job thinking I'd stay a few months. I had not had a regular job in like 10 years. We actually had to be someplace every day at the same time. And it turned out to be fabulous. I got to go all around the city. And growing up in Brooklyn, and I, for several years I drove a yellow cab, I felt I learned the white New York. And by working for HPD, I learned the black, brown, and beige New York. I was in Harlem two or three days a week, East New York, Bed-Stuy, Brownsville, the South Bronx, and I took to like a duck to water. My predecessors were older guys, kind of jaded, kind of on the small side. One of them had once been mugged. They were very uncomfortable going to these neighborhoods. And I'm kind of big. I, I speak a little bit of Spanish, not quite fluent, but enough to get by. And growing up in the streets, I'm comfortable in them. So I loved it. And the fact that I would... Uh, after a while, people wouldn't even come with me. They'd give me maps. They'd give me photographs of these buildings, go there, and I'd, I'd talk to the superintendent. And I'd get access to all these buildings, and I just loved it. And I would meet people, talk to them, always respectful, 
sometimes things would be a little dicey, but I basically understood I wasn't there to hurt people. And if you're selling drugs, you don't want any trouble either. It's bad for business. So I would, I might come to a building and see four or five guys smoking pot on the stoop or doing something. And I would just say, listen, I'm here for the city. I'm here to take some pictures. I don't want to take any people pictures, but just let me do my business. I'll be gone in a few minutes. And people understood that. I never pushed anybody. And uh, I was treated nicely. Sometimes we become like kind of jokey. Like I get my camera out to photograph the facade of a building. I do like the front fairly close. And I step back to do the whole building. I go the hallways and some of the apartments. And someone would say, you can take my picture. I'm a citizen. They stand in front of the building like John Wayne with the hands on the hips. And I lift the camera up and he would, usually it's a guy who would cut out and all their friends would laugh and like slap hands. I think it was a big joke. And I would laugh along with him because it, was, it wasn't threatening. And yet I got to do what I needed to do. And I would, and I, the beauty of the job was I'd be out three or four days a week that I'd process the film, I'd edit it, I'd print it, I'd distribute it to where it was needed. And it was a, a tremendous cycle to keep working all the time. It, the, the pay got better over the years. I wound up being there 20 years, which was I never expected. And the, the city agency has used the work. It's been in a lot of museum shows and a lot of books. And I'm very proud of what I did. It was re- and it was really a lot of fun, too. Uh, which year did you start? I started in 1989, and I retar- retired in 2011. And I had... My photography career was going along okay, and then I hit a real bump in about 1980. I was living with a lovely dancer in Park Slope. We broke up, and I kind of lost sight of what I was doing, and that's when I fell into the construction. And I did that for almost 10 years, and I took this job as a chance, working for HPD, and I really hadn't shown from um, since 1981. And in 1994, one of the people at HPD who worked in Harlem said, would you want to have a show at the um, state office building? There's a community gallery to show the work we've done in Harlem. And I said, sure. So we did the show, and it was a huge success. People loved it. I got to make big prints, talk to people, frame them. It got me back into photographing, and I started showing my work again. And then within two years, I had gotten a Guggenheim a Fellowship in Photography, which was huge. And I took a year off from HBD to just do personal work, and I did this big body of work of panoramas of the city. They were the inner city and also the waterfront. And it was a special camera that produced a two by six inch negative that was really great for landscapes. And I um, rented the camera first and I, I bought one with the help from my dad, lent me some money to buy it because um, they stopped making them. And I've been using it ever since and it really made, made my career as an artist. And I've been you know, showing and getting grants ever since. So you've been seeing Brooklyn during a lot of years. Yeah. How do you... So I started photographing in Brooklyn in 1970. Yeah. And I'm going to photograph today when I leave here on my way back to Rockaway. So I've been adding this body of work. And if you can picture like bar graphs of piles. So I have churches. I have movie theaters. I have kids playing ball. I have basketball courts. I have... Uh, Something I'm hoping to publish is a whole book on flat fix places, the little shops where people fix your flat tires. Uh, I have all these different overlapping body of work. I photographed four different Good Friday processions over a period of like 40 years, four different churches. 
And my projects, um, they go from like, all my serious projects have at least 150, 200 photographs. Obviously some better than others, but they, it's a built body of work. There's the Italian festival, the Giulio festival, all that year Mount Carmel takes place uh, this summer. I photographed it every year, once from the street, once from rooftops, once from fire escapes, once as a marcher. And I just keep adding different aspects of the same thing. I use like about eight different cameras depending on what, what I want to do, a big camera, a landscape camera, or small cameras for people. I use a, a two and a quarter camera to shoot black and white, an old Hasselblad for portraits. And I intercut all of these, and I think it's a, a very powerful body of work. It's not for everybody. Like, I've been photographing every Halloween since 1974. And I have a book of Halloween photographs published. I'm ready to do a second book. And I just keep adding to these piles every year. Yeah. So you've been documenting how Brooklyn has changed yeah, yeah. Also over yeah. the years. What yeah. do you think about the changes? Well, I think, you know, some people has gotten better. Some people uh, did really well. I think Brooklyn is, well, I say the world in general, and New York in particular, it's not a good place to be if you're poor. If you're not making enough money to live nicely, it's hard. Everything is very expensive. And when you live in an apartment, like when I was younger, I could earn money and I would pay like a small amount of my income to rent. And when you're paying 50, 60% of your income for rent, you can't get anywhere. You, just, you can't save anything, you can't move up in the world, you're like trading water for the rest of your life, practically. So I, I think for the people who, who did well, who are doing well, Brooklyn, I mean, Brooklyn is fabulous. There's a physical place between the waterfront, Coney Island, Prospect Park, the parks. They, I've been going to visit my granddaughter in Williamsburg and going to McCarran Park Pool, which was a beautiful Robert Moses pool from the 30s. It was, it was like closed. It was like a graffiti canvas. And it got redone by the, by the city, and it's absolutely fabulous. It's a great place to swim, and it's a neighborhood resource. So, in many ways, Brooklyn is Brooklyn is changing. Brooklyn has uh, come back in some ways, but other people say it was never bad. It never got. It was never that bad. The drugs were a big problem in some neighborhoods, and I saw that more as a photographer working for the city. But if you go through the Bed Stuy that I photographed from, like, say, 1989 to 1995, if you went back there now, it's totally transformed. I would spend a, a day in Bed-Stuy and not see another white person, unless it was a cop or a mailman or a con ed worker. And now it's, a, it's becoming very mixed, and it's a problem for the older black people who don't own their brownstones. People who are renting are having a very hard time. And HPD has dealt with it. They were um, trying to put programs in place to help people. A lot of the active groups in, in um, the Fifth Avenue Committee started, which is close to the library, started out as a tenant, a tenant advocacy group. And now, in addition to their advocacy, they're also developing housing. So um, Brooklyn is absolutely fabulous, but not great if you're poor. You've been documenting illness? Yeah, yeah. So when I got my job with the city, I was, in, I was very discouraged. I lost my my vibe or my feel for what I was photographing. So I went from photographing, say, in 1980, 200 rolls of film. I was photographing two or three rolls of film a year. I was didn't know what to photograph anymore, what to think. I, I couldn't get any more shows. I, people weren't interested, interested in my work. And then I um, 
started doing this carpentry and really getting into it, becoming from a, going from a laborer to a really pretty good carpenter. So I putting a lot of energy into this, and then I was tired after work. So I was through, I was just just kind of going by. It was a very physical um, time period. And then I uh, got this job at the city, and I started going around different neighborhoods. And one of the first things I noticed was was the incredible graffiti, which I saw as religious art. I didn't like just the marking of the tagging, but I love the they refer to authors R.I.P. Walls. Martha Cooper and Joe Shore did a great book on this. Rest in peace, murals, and they'll have like the, the Italian mass cards I grew up. They'll have a, a picture. And it'll have the person's birth and the person's death. Sometimes it'll say sunrise, sunset. And I saw these on these walls. And then it would have, in addition to the religious aspect, it might have a, a blessed mother or a sacred heart. Then it would have a pair of dice or a big sports car. So it was a mixture of the sacred and the profane. And I started seeing these and I started keeping a record of them. And then I started going back on the weekends with a big camera. And I had a show at Soho Photo in 1997 called Memorial Landscapes. And I almost got a book done. A book packager contacted me. We made a book dummy, and we never found a publisher. And the, the book packager said, I'm really sorry, but it's time to give up. He said, we got the best rejection letters ever, but they never found a publisher. And I've had that body of work that I've tremendously expanded to a a book I'm working on now called The Broken Book of the Dead. And in addition to the R.I.P. walls one sees on the street, I've incorporated the whole Italian funeral, death, wake experience I grew up with. So I have photographs of funeral parlors, of monument makers, of family burials in the graveyard. I have so far only family members in their coffins. And in the once upon a time, that was a standard job for a photographer. It would be a death portrait, often in a coffin. Sometimes they'd stand the coffin up. It's kind of people are very squeamish now. The running joke is that in Victorian days, you couldn't talk about sex, but you could talk about death. Now we talk about sex, but we don't talk about death. And so this is a long-term project that my earlier work is now folded into. And so I just keep doing these building blocks of books or exhibits or projects. And the Brooklyn Collection will get all of this. They've gotten some of it already. Because when I print, I learned this when I worked in the darkroom, once you got your exposure correct, you wouldn't make just one print. Because if you went back a week later, you have to start from scratch. So once you had the exposure and the processing time, you do at least five to ten. So I've kept that up. So I always have a lot of copies of what I make. Is there any advice you would like to give to people coming to or moving to Brooklyn now? Oh, just enjoy it. It's beautiful. I mean, Brooklyn, is a, as a physical space, it's beautiful. Every neighborhood has its charms. I mean, but being near the waterfront or near a big park is, is a real boon. And when I lived in Park Slope, I had almost no money because I wasn't working much. But I'd walk from 15th Street through the park to the Botanic Garden or to the museum or to the library. And it's, it's, it's just tremendous. How was Prospect Park? No one was born than me. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 went, I played ball in Prospect Park. Yeah. I went ice skating in Prospect Park. I went, used the rowboats on the lake. And you just walk around and look at things. You walk through, go see the garden. Mm -hmm. At night, it got dicey. I mean, um, 
there was a, a gay section, a pickup section that Tom Romer just did a book about called The Garden of Casimir. But, but for the most part, if you weren't looking for trouble, you wouldn't find it. You could always be unlucky. But I think if you don't portray yourself as a victim, and again, being, being big was in my favor, I also never bothered people. I, I grew up to respect people, and, and a very big Italian thing is mind your own business. And so if no one's going to hassle me, I know I'm not going to hassle anybody. And that, that's held me in, in good stead. But anything could happen. You know, you can be unlucky, but for the most part, and also with, with the photography, people see that I'm sincere. I get a lot of people who, who might not want to be photographed at first, and I'll tell them why I'm doing it, why I'm interested in and I very often make prints. Like for now, I have with me, I'm, I'm working on this book about flat, flat fix little tire shops. I have a, two boxes of prints of me to bring back. Places I photographed two weeks ago. I said I'll be back in a few weeks. I print eight by ten color prints and give them to people. And it, it's 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 a good entree. So, is there anything you wanted to talk about today that we didn't get to? No, just oh, just that life is very short. As I'm, I'm 70 now. I just did a, a little piece recently for the uh, Brooklyn Collection. Has been very nice. They've let they've let me uh, post little blog pieces. I've been I've been trying to be more of a writer and combining my photographs with my writing. And I thought it was very interesting. A few weeks ago, it was the first time in 75 years that Ash Wednesday and Valentine's Day fell on the same day. So I wrote this piece about. Ash Wednesday is dust to dust, thou shalt return, think about death, and Valentine's Day is about love. And I kind of combine the two with, does love last? And uh, so this is the kind of stuff I'm thinking about, and when you get to be 70, you think about things very differently than when you're 30. And I think that's just part of the process. Anything else you want to add, or do you think we got everything? <laughs> well, I, I, also, a big thing about uh, Brooklyn, you could probably add this in later, is I had a very big family. I had one brother, but my, um, I grew up with, on my mother's side of the family, 18 cousins, and my father's side, about another dozen. And we were close to my mother's side, and, we, and they all lived within a few blocks on the corner of 18th Street and 6th Avenue. And we would have these Sunday dinners would be a riot. There'd be 15 kids. I don't, I don't know how they did it. There'd be 8 or 12 adults and like all these kids running around. We had a little coffee table in a different room. And but we always had playmates, you know. And I, and I grew up playing ball in the street—stick ball, football, basketball—all the street games. And I, I know now kids don't play in the street as much. My grandchildren are not allowed. It's not as safe. But back then, you really were—you were kind of on your own as a kid. You just—you know—you went out after school until it got dark. And I think being this part of the change, things are a little different now. I know it's on Halloween now. The wrong kids just going out. Trick or treating. My first book has all these kids, these egg throwers, and just running around. It wasn't an organized Seventh Day Avenue Children's Parade. It was just like you're out on your own. And that's it's so it's, it's a change. It has its, it has its good and its bad. This has been really interesting. So thank you so much uh, on behalf of the Brooklyn Public Library. Well, anything to help the library. <laughs> library is one of the best things about Brooklyn. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>